So as I said, we're going to uh, have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. So if you want to turn to it, it's on page 587 of the Church Bibles. And it's, uh, we're going to start a series on Ecclesiastes. It's one of those books that uh, some people love and some people uh, find difficult. Hopefully, by the end of the series, uh, you'll find that uh, you love it as much as I do. <laughs> and I don't turn you the other way. But um, it is one of those books, I think, that it does, if you take a bit of time to study it and really see what it's saying, uh, there is so much joy to be found in it. Uh, before we start, I do want to ask you a question. Do you know the difference between a maze and a labyrinth? Uh, I didn't, I must admit, a few years ago. Um, maze is uh, one of the, the um, ones that you probably kind of associate uh, with mazes in terms of lots of dead ends where you kind of enter it and there's high walls and there's dead ends that you kind of come to and then you have to retract your steps to try and find a hidden centre. A labyrinth actually sometimes doesn't have any walls at all because actually it's a continuous path. There are no dead ends in a labyrinth. If you walk a labyrinth, actually you might go a long way away from the centre, but you'll always come back. It's just one continuous path. And I wonder which one you think best describes your life. Has it been one continuous path with uh, just uh, walking along, knowing that you're always going to reach your destination? Or has it been one where you've kind of ended up down quite a few dead ends and having to kind of retrace your steps, wondering if you'll ever find what you're looking for? And for me, really, that's what this book of Ecclesiastes is about, really, is this um, idea of life being a maze and the fact that there are so many dead ends that we can end up going down. So we're going to have a look at verse by verse. And you'll see the first verse actually introduces who it is that's speaking. And it says, it's the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And uh, the obvious uh, answer to the question of who wrote it is is Solomon. That it's actually David's son Solomon, uh, one of the wisest men that's ever lived. And it's really interesting that he has written this book and calls himself the preacher. In Ecclesiastes, that's what the word means. It means the preacher. So actually, this is a book that is trying to tell us something. And what is he trying to tell us? Well, we'll see that in verse 2, and it might be a bit surprising. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. And the word vanity in Hebrew actually means a breath, like a vapour. And if you think about that, there's two aspects to that. And the first one is a, is a temporal thing. It's a time thing. That a breath is very temporary. It's fleeting. It quickly disappears. But also there's a, a kind of aspect of, of worth and meaning. That a breath really can be quite meaningless, quite empty, quite useless, quite unsatisfying. So this, uh, this word vanity has those two aspects to it. Something that is temporary. Something that is fleeting. And as a result, could be quite meaningless and unsatisfying. So what is the main message that the preacher is trying to say? Is that all things are temporary. All things are unsatisfying. And actually, if you think about that, we're all searching for meaning, aren't we? Whatever uh, avenues that we're going down in life, we're all looking for some kind of meaning to life. What are we here for? What am I here for? What is my ultimate goal in life? What am I going to put my time and my energy into? What am I trying to understand or find out or to, or to achieve? What do I want my epitaph to be or my, uh, you know, what do I want people to remember me for? And often we find that 
there were lots of dead ends. I don't know about you, but I've thought, oh, yeah, this is it. This is what I want my life to be about. And then I found, oh, no, actually, I don't. Oh, yeah, this is it. This is, what, this is what the meaning of life is. This is the thing that will really get me satisfied, that will give me a peace and a security. And then I find that it's not. And then I'm on a hunt for something else. So in a sense, my life, if I, I look back on it, is often a, a, a place of kind of dead ends where I, I think I've found it and I kind of hurry down only to find that I don't find what I'm looking for. And then I'm trying to retrace my steps or find a different way. So for me, this first uh, chapter kind of introduces what the, the preacher, what Solomon is going to elaborate on for the rest of the book. And it really introduces six reasons why often we find that those things which we look for to meaning are ultimately temporary and unsatisfying. And the first one we find in verses three to seven, and it's because nothing lasts, <coughs> that actually... Whatever we're looking for to for meaning in this earthly life is ultimately unsatisfying. Why? Because it's fleeting. It doesn't last. Verse 3 says, What profit has a man from all his labours in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, another generation comes. But the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south and turns around towards the north. The wind whirls around continually and it comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. Without ending up quoting a Disney film, there's that idea of of the circularity of life, the fact that life seems to come and go, that actually nothing really lasts a long time, especially human beings. You know, we might think we've got a long time on this earth, but how fleeting it is. And before we know it, one generation passes and another comes. And there's actually some quite insightful um, sort of scientific um, knowledge here, if you like. You know, there's this idea that the rivers run into the sea, but the sea isn't continually filling up. Why? Because the water evaporates again into the clouds and rains, and there's a circular. So, you know, Solomon was very wise in what he's saying here, but what he's trying to illustrate is this fact that the earth is continually going on, the sun rises, the sun sets. But even with human beings, nothing is is lasting forever. Everything, at some point, is fleeting and gone. (coughs) And human life is very fleeting as well. James 4, 14 says, What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Psalm 103, 15 to 16 says, As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. You know, when you're young, you think you have the whole of kind of life ahead of you, and there's just all of this time. But before you know it, you think, oh, hang on, I'm I'm probably halfway through here, or I haven't got much time left at all. So we... In our, in our heads, we may feel as though, you know, we are the centre of the universe and we've got lo- loads of time to play with. But actually, before we know it, we, we pull out and see a bigger picture and actually our life is fleeting. You know, we're almost the equivalent of those flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow. And so many areas of life are like that. We'd love to be able to see things growing and growing and just kind of an, a never-ending uh, increase in things, but nothing lasts. Everything has its day. Every dog has its day, as it were. 
You know, I think about the funeral service, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. You know, we come from, from dust and to dust we return. So why do we not find satisfaction in so many things of this life? Because nothing lasts. Reason number two. The other reason, the other reason that we don't find satisfaction is because we're never satisfied. Even if things did last and even if things were the best they could ever be, we'd never be satisfied. Look at verse 8. All things are full of labour. Man cannot escape, express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. You know, how true is it that we're never satisfied with anything? Even if we get what we've always desired, we tend to find fault in it and want something else. And this often leads to greed and envy, doesn't it? That we never have enough. We're always wanting more. Or we're always wanting what someone else has got rather than being satisfied with what we've, we've got. You know, the obvious one uh, example of that is, is drugs. Why do people get addicted to drugs? Because when you, when you take a certain level of drug, your body gets used to it and it needs more to be satisfied. But actually, how many things in life are like that? Even if we could have the best of everything, it wouldn't be good enough. And how many do you see that seemingly have achieved fame or fortune or reached the top of their profession and all of a sudden life is meaningless? Why? Because whatever they were looking for didn't satisfy They just want more. And the truth of it is really that earthly things were never meant to satisfy. You know, we were never meant to find complete and ultimate eternal contentment in the things of this life. And really, as you see, as we go through this book of Ecclesiastes, that's the point that Solomon makes, is that the reason we're never satisfied with the things of this life is because we were never meant to, because there's more to life than this. Reason number three, new things grow old. Sometimes we think, oh, your meaning is going to be finding something new, some new experience, some new thing that we've never come across before. If only we had that, then all of a sudden that would bring some kind of meaning to our lives. But all new things grow old. Look at verses 9 to 11. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no new remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. See, every generation, and I was one of them, I'm sure you were, you think that you're going to do it. You know, all the past generations, all all the failures of the world, it's all their fault. And actually, this is the generation. We're going to sort it out. We're going to find the meaning of life, or we're going to put everything right. You can see it in the young people these days. They're no different. You know, oh, it's all your fault, all the older generations, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll sort this out. Every, every generation thinks that its problems and the solutions that it, it comes up with are new, and they're, they're the most valuable, and they've never been done before. But actually, what they don't realise is that they're just new versions of old problems and new versions of old solutions. You see, all that happens is human behaviour takes on different ways of expressing the same old motives. You know, pride, lust, greed, envy, love, fear, hatred, they've been around for thousands of years. We just find different ways of expressing them. And also how quickly things and people that are popular today are forgotten tomorrow. You know, the saying is, isn't that every dog has its day. Everybody has their 15 minutes of fame and then they go into obscurity. 
And how true it is that there is no remembrance, really, of things that are past. Again, there's this treadmill of new all the time, new all the time, new all the time. Again, what's the perfect example of that? Modern technology, phones. You know, how often do you see the latest advert, the latest phone? You know, this is the one you've been looking for. You know, that, that phone, it was okay, but, you know, this one is the new one. This is the one that's going to uh, fulfill all of your dreams. What happens when in six months' time that one's on a rubbish tip or even less these days? That one's old hat and there's a new one comes along. There's that continual uh, search for more and more and more. And what started off as the kind of excitement of the latest new thing suddenly becomes the boredom of something that is old hat. How often you see it with, with children as well, isn't it? That kind of that new toy that they had at Christmas is soon forgotten and they want something else. Life becomes very addictive and very expensive. And how little we learn from past mistakes. You know, I think that's even getting worse. I think people are less interested in learning from history now than they ever were. You know, I think anything that is seen as traditional or old-fashioned is just automatically um, thrown away as, 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 as old hat, that we can't learn from it. And there's this really this obsession, I think probably technology-driven, that everything new is good, is better than what was before. And there's a real danger that we're going to le- lose all of that wisdom that we learn from history because there's ups- that obsession with youth and all that is new. You know, I'm not saying that all that is new and all that is young is bad, but there's so much that we can learn from uh, what, what is old and what is, you know, the wisdom of age. But as you'll see from this, it was the same in Solomon's day all those thousands of years ago, that people weren't really learning the mistakes of the past. They just were making them in a different way. Reason number four that everything earthly turns out to be meaningless is because life is exhausting You know, ultimately, we're worn out, aren't we? Ultimately, life is hard work. And even those things which we're passionate about, ultimately, they wear us out. And we end up exhausted, even by those things that once uh, seemed exciting and thrilling. Verse 12 to 14. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I set my heart to seek and search out wisdom, by wisdom, concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of men. By which this may be exercised, sorry, by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Now it's interesting here because Solomon gets personal. He actually starts to recall his own journey so that we can learn from it. So actually, what the, the book of Ecclesiastes is, is it's not just a book of philosophy. Yes, there is a lot of philosophical things in there, but it's actually a book of testimony. It's actually a book based on his personal experiences where he's sharing what he has learned from his life. You see, at the beginning of his reign, he asked God for wisdom. He could have had anything he wanted to, and he asked for wisdom. In 1 Kings uh, chapter 3, he asked for that wisdom so that he could uh, use his power, his, his authority wisely to govern. And it was a wonderful thing for him to ask for. You know, you think, yeah, this is a young man that's really got his priorities right in terms of the way that he wants to lead. However, if you look at the way that his life uh, turned out, he didn't always make the wisest decisions, but he was an incredibly wise man. He wrote most of Proverbs, many of the Psalms, and also the the, uh, Song of Songs, and was known as kind of the wisest man. He had, you know, the Queen of Sheba and other people visiting him for his wisdom. 
And he knew that actually understanding and manipulating creation, trying to understand how the world works and to, to use that to, to, uh, to build and to improve things, is actually part of our mandate as humans. In Genesis 1.28, God said to Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So actually what he was pursuing is a God-given task. It's not wrong to pursue science or art or whatever it is to try and improve the world, to try and uh, to take authority over the world and to, to, um, to kind of have power and dominion over that. It's something that God has given us as long as we use it wisely. But as with all work after the fall, it's exhausting. Even if we're doing something that is really honourable and worthwhile, it wears us out. You know, you've only got to look at the news of the the nurses and uh, all those blue light services that are doing incredible work, but it, it tires us out. And even those things which we went into, uh, you know, teachers and, and nurses and doctors, how, how often do you hear them talking about how passionate they were about it, how much they believe in what they're doing, how much kind of meaning that they give to that work, but actually at the end of the day, they're exhausted and they just want to leave. You see, by the time Solomon wrote this book, he'd experienced so much in life. You know, he was the wisest man there was. He built the temple and his own palace and many cities. He was one of the richest people around. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. It's basically a, a sign of his political allegiances and all of the kind of uh, the, the power and the wisdom that he had in, in um, getting on with other nations and making those allegiances. But actually what he finds and what he writes in this book is that none of it was satisfying, that ultimately... All of it was meaningless. Why? Well, reason number five. Because our power, and indeed all that we are, is limited. We're not God. We are humans. We'll never know everything, or we'll never be able to do everything. Look at verse 15 to 17. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be numbered. I communed with my heart, saying, look, I've attained greatness And have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping after the wind. You see, although we're tasked to have dominion over the earth and subdue it, although we are given great power and great abilities to do things, our powers are limited. We can't change everything. You know, Jeremiah 13, 23 says, you know, can the leopard change its spots? Can the Ethiopian change its skin? You know, there's a real arrogance these days to think that, you know, as human beings, that we can do whatever we want. We can change everything. Anything about us, we can change. But it's just not true. You know, we've become very arrogant to think that we could solve all the issues in life. If only we have enough time and resources, we can solve everything. That nothing is beyond our power to control and to sort out. And often you see this in people's frustrations and anger at not being able to cure illnesses. There's almost this kind of affront to our pride as a human race that, uh, that there could be these little viruses that actually make us ill or kill us off. We think we should be able to sort all these things out. But the truth of it is, we can't do everything. Our power is limited. But when I was uh, studying psychology, we used to have this uh, little joke with the students that, uh, you know, if the brain was simple for, enough to under, for us to understand it, we'd be too simple to be able to understand it. 
there's always going to be that part of us, especially, that we're not going to be able to understand. And often we may understand the problem and develop, develop something to solve it, but all that happens is it just creates more problems. You know, they come up with a solution to a problem, but then that brings more problems that then need solving. It's a bit like medication. You know, you, treat, you take one drug to treat a disease, and then you have to take another drug to counteract the side effects of the first one. There's always some problem that creates another problem. And finally, the last reason that I think the preacher says that uh, all earthly things end up ultimately being meaningless is that everything has an element of sorrow. You know, how often are we looking for joy and pleasure in the things of life? We think that meaning will come from comfort or pleasure. But actually everything, even those things which seemingly on the outside can only be good, ultimately have an element of sorrow. Verse 18, he says, For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. You see, being able to describe what's happening, being able to understand things, as I said, doesn't mean that we can change them, doesn't mean that we can solve everything. We often don't understand things well enough. We just don't understand it well enough to be able to solve it. And as I said before, that can bring incredible frustration, but also incredible grief. Those disorders that can't be cured. Those problems that we just can't find a solution to. And sometimes our um, search for understanding doesn't bring the happiness that we crave. It certainly was, was true for Solomon, that the more he understood life, the more actual sadness that he found. And how, how true that can be is that the older we get, the more that we see this sorrow in so many things, even in, in the joy of having families or the joy of doing some work that we feel is really meaningless, there can be incredible sorrow in the midst of it. You see, knowledge won't bring necessarily personal peace and happiness. You know, often those people that struggle most with anxiety or depression or even with psychosis and other serious mental illnesses are those that are try to think about the meaning of life, try to understand the meaning of life or to solve it. And all that happens is they just end up in a depression or an anxiety. With much wisdom comes much sorrow. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 7, he said that people in the last days will be always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. How sad that is, but how true that is. How true I found it in my own life as I've pursued many different ways of trying to understand life and, you know, with, with psychology and working with people in welfare, desperately trying to understand why people have the problems that they do and, and to solve it for them. And you realise that more often than not, you can't. And actually, all you can do is stand with them in their sorrow. And the truth is that this grasping and aching for more and more knowledge and never reaching the answer, I think is actually God-given because it forces us to look beyond the earthly things for the real meaning. And that meaning is only found in him. You see, uh, let's have a spoiler alert. Let's go to the end of the book. I don't want to spoil it for you if you've never read it, but let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. You see, I find with the book Ecclesiastes, you have to keep the end always in sight. There's so much there that can be quite, uh, 
depressing is the wrong word, but can appear quite negative. But actually, if you keep the end in the sight all the time, you realise why Solomon is saying what he's saying. Chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. You see, yes, is everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless under the sun. But there is an ultimate meaning, meaning that is found in God himself. And what I find with the book of Ecclesiastes is what Solomon is doing is he's leading us uh, in quite detail based upon his own experiences down every dead end that there is in this earthly life. Every single thing that we might look for, for ultimate meaning and satisfaction. And what he does is he shows us that every, every one of those is temporary. Every one of those is meaningless. And that actually what we have to do is look higher. If we look at what's happening under the sun, we'll never find it. But if we look up to see what's happening above the sun in the heavenlies, then that's where we find the true meaning. So chapter one is an introduction to a wonderful book. It introduces the main themes of the book. It introduces the reader to the futility of trying to find the meaning of life in created things alone. It begins to describe a life without God and without hope that will be detailed uh, in, the following cha- in the chapters that follow. You see, throughout the book, Solomon expa- examines and tears down every earthly thing that people look to for meaning, whilst repeatedly highlighting the only place where true meaning can be found, God himself. So there's a lot of negative in this book. Um, but there are some little nuggets of gold, and we really have to keep our eyes fixed on those. You know, I was thinking about this. It's a bit like, um, you know, a, a, a ship on a dark sea in the middle of the night, and there's so much uncertainty around them, and you can look everywhere they look, and it's just negative and uncertain and confusing. But they only need one light to steer them home. And really, for me, this is uh, where people go wrong with Ecclesiastes. They get so lost in the darkness of what Solomon is describing from his experience of the meaningless of earthly things. But they don't see that one light that will lead them home. You see, for me, what Solomon is doing is he's leading us down every um, dead end of that earthly maze in order to reveal that actually there's a heavenly labyrinth, an eternal labyrinth, that if we can find... The the key to life is not keep going down these dead ends of this maze. It's actually to get out the maze and get into the labyrinth. Because actually when you trust in the Lord, there is only one path. And even though you might seem as though you're going well away from your destination, we will get to that destination, which is in him. See, we were never meant for a life of dead ends. We were meant for a labyrinth where we uh, say, no matter how far we think we're going away, he will get us home. So I wonder where you are this evening, because wherever you are this evening, the preacher has a message for you, and over the next uh, evenings, as we uh, hopefully do it maybe once a month in the evenings, uh, the preacher has a message to you, wherever you are in life. You know, maybe you're here this evening, and uh, you're still thinking, do you know what, there is uh, meaning to be found in the things of this life, I just haven't found it yet. 
You know, maybe, uh, you know, I've pursued a certain amount of wisdom, but if I get more wisdom, if I read more books and get more qualifications, then actually I'll, I'll come across it. I'll find that satisfying meaning of life. Maybe it's about money. Maybe you think, well, you know, I've earned a bit of money, but if I get a bit more, if I earn more houses or more investments, then that will satisfy me. Maybe it's about family or relationships. You know, if we can find the one, or if only, you know, we can uh, improve our relationship, then, then ultimately it'll be meaningful and I'll find what I've been looking for. But the good news is that we have someone here that did all of that. He was wiser than you will probably ever be. He had more money than you'll probably ever have, more influence than you'll probably ever have, more wives, certainly, I would think, than you'll ever have. Now, here is somebody that had explored all of those things, all of those avenues that we all go down looking for meaning in life. And we can learn from him. He is there to tell us that actually, ultimately, everything is meaningless. No matter how far you go down that road, you will never find that satisfaction that you're looking for. Maybe you're here this evening because you've begun to realise that. Maybe your journey is uh, just beginning and you're thinking, hang on a minute, all of those things are satisfying. I've been trying all these different things and I'm coming to the end of my tether. Actually, I keep coming across dead ends. When will it ever end? Well, the good news is, and the encouragement is, that Solomon can tell you that it will never end. If you keep looking for that ultimate satisfaction in earthly things, you will always be looking and never finding. But there is a way to get out of that maze and onto a path where you will reach your destination, where you will find peace and joy for all eternity, but only in God himself. And maybe you've known that for a long time, and maybe you, uh, you have Uh, got out of that maze and onto that labyrinth. Maybe you know that your destination is secure, that your eyes have been fixed on that glorious day when you will see him face to face. But maybe your life is just going off and maybe you're just thinking, oh, you know, it has just seemed further away now than I was before. Maybe maybe there is some satisfaction. Maybe I will just uh, go over here and try and find some satisfaction in earthly things. And I think what Solomon would say to us is, don't give up. Don't give up. This is the right road that you're on. Yes, it may look as though you're veering off, but actually this is not a dead end. If you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, if you keep trusting in him and living for him, then you will reach that goal, that you will find that ultimate, eternal satisfaction, joy and peace that you're looking for. Maybe you're not experiencing it all now, But one day you will see him face to face. One day you will know that incredible peace and joy for all eternity that comes from those that know and love the Lord Jesus. Amen.